welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Schell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. We're in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. I'll start at verse 26, and I'm going down to 33. We're looking at a passage where Paul is correcting. This is where he really puts instructions in place. Talking to the Corinthian church, saying, when you move in the gifts of the Spirit, when you, are, when you gather and the, and the things of the Spirit begin to happen, the prophecies and word of knowledge, word of, all this kind of stuff, here's how I want it to work. And he gives them guidelines, clear guidelines. He says, I want you to work within these boundaries. I want you to exercise the freedom of the Spirit, but I want it done within boundaries. Now, that's an important principle because that's how things work well. And when we, have, when we have freedom but no boundaries, things go all over the place. So what we're talking about today is how do you and I, because we want to keep moving forward. We want to keep growing in our capacity to move in the things of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit. How do we do it in a way that's beautiful and orderly? Because that's where he ends up. Beautiful, causing respect, causing people to, to even when they don't fully understand, to to like what they're seeing and in, and one at a time, respectful of each person, orderly. So Holy Spirit, would you open our, our hearts today? We would present to you yielded hearts. That which is truly the word of God, we would ask you to, to teach it to us. We would obey and walk in it. We love your word, Lord. It is life to us. And we ask, Lord, for open ears that we would hear and I pray for the grace to let your words speak today. Lord, we want to hear from the Apostle Paul, not me. So come, dear one, and teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'll start at verse 26. Paul has just talked about the church. He was stopping something the Corinthians were doing. They were coming together. And all speaking in tongues at once, long and loud, and apparently almost maybe the whole of service. It, I, there's no evidence that there wasn't anything. That was all they were doing. And Paul says, I want that to stop. You've got visitors, and they're going to think you're crazy. And uh, he said, and it's a bad sign. It's the sign of judgment in the Old Testament when God isn't speaking in the language of the people to them. And he said, I want you to have prophecy, and you bring that in there, and and then he begins to say, now here's what a service should look like. Verse 26. What is the outcome then, brethren, when you assemble? Each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Just look at that list. He's, it's, it's not exhaustive. He's just giving us some samples. But he's put in, so each one, meaning he doesn't mean every person has to bring a psalm, every person has to bring a teaching. He's saying that there's this distribution of gifts by the Spirit. Somebody's got a psalm, somebody's got a teaching, somebody's got a revelation, somebody has a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, 
it should be by two or at the most three, and each in turn, and one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. Did you say let the others pass judgment? That's an important feature. We'll look at it later. If a revelation is made to another who's seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Let's say that. The spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Let's say that. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And then he points out, as in all the churches of the saints. I'll show you what that means in a minute. I'll skip down to verse 40. He concludes this and says, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. I think what's it, King James? Decently and and in order. Let's, Let's read that, whatever version you have. All things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. All right, here we go. Freedom within order. Here is one of the foundational principles in the way God works with humans. He gives us freedom to choose and then asks us to exercise that freedom within specific boundaries. Time and again, the troubles that enter our lives come because we use that freedom to do something outside his will. Our old human nature seems determined to test his boundaries. For some reason, we question his motives for giving them to us. We suspect that he forbids certain things because he's trying to deprive us rather than protect us. Isn't that usually what you have? The thought that, oh, you're telling me I can't do that because it's so much fun and so wonderful. And you're keeping it from me, you mean old God. You know, and what he's doing is protecting us from being destroyed and consumed by various things. Uh, And those of us that have tested those boundaries know exactly we've learned the hard way. We assume that his rules are barriers that will prevent us from finding happiness. So we engage in behaviors and tolerate attitudes that he warned us would bring hardship. And as a result, we suffer unnecessarily. In time, we discover why he said what he did. But by then, much damage has already been done. Look, this is the Garden of Eden. This is the very heart and nature of God. You've got to get a hold of the way God functions. Here he creates Adam and Eve. He creates the first human beings, puts them in this beautiful garden, and they can eat anything in the garden. Who knows how big that thing was? Um, And you know there's avocados there. You know there's mangoes there. You know, it's not just apples. Come on. Uh, this This is full of all kinds of wonderful things. And they are free to eat anything they want. But there's just, but he puts one tree in the middle. In fact, he doesn't even tell them they can't eat the tree of life. He puts one tree in the middle, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, don't eat that one. They haven't sinned yet. They haven't done anything. This is the heart and nature of God. He gives them a free will, creates them in his image, and then says, now here's something you're not allowed to do. If you do it, it'll bring death. He could, he could have left that out. How about a garden with no trees that are forbidden? You can eat everything. It's a big, beautiful prison. 
You see, you, you, you can't, it, there has to be the choice to do the right thing. That's what makes a person good, not the fact that you can't do the wrong thing. See, if, I, if you put me in jail and say, now don't rob a bank, well, I won't. <laughs> Guaranteed. I will not rob a bank while I'm in jail. But that doesn't make me good. It means I can't. What's good is when you let me out and say, now don't rob a bank, and I don't. Now I've chosen to do the right thing. That is choice is what makes a person good, not the absence of bad behavior. You follow this? It's really critical. See, I, I, well, I'm going to say it here, but God is in the pro process of raising us, calling us to be his children. He wants us to become holy like him. This is a very high calling. In light of all the suffering people bring upon themselves, someone might ask, why doesn't God simply force everyone to do the right thing? And then the world would be a much better place. And that's true in one way. People would behave better. But in that, if that solution misses the point of why God created the human race. He made us in his image so we could relate to him as a person. So we could become his children, not his slaves or his pets. For that to happen, he had to give us a measure of free will so we could choose to love him and choose to obey him. Without that freedom, we would guide our lives by instinct, like animals. And that is not God's high purpose for us. In his great love, he gave us the capacity to truly fellowship with him. And freedom is an essential ingredient in that process. Without it, we cannot love him and we cannot become like him. You can't love him either without freedom. You can't make someone. You can't, you know, that's not love. To just create some little thing that just says, I love you, I love you, I love you. It, it's got, it, freedom is, I mean, the, the, the love is a gift. Something I, I give, I see something lovely in the person and I give you my heart. It's a precious, tender thing. And God wants us to love him and he wants us to become like him. And for that to happen, there has to be freedom. So don't ask that question ever again. Why does God let this stuff go on? Well, he has a choice. He can kill everybody who's going to do bad stuff, which, and you might be, you know, in, in the line of fire. <laughs> or he can bring those who will come to himself out of this mess. That's what's going on. To have one thing, you have to have the possibility of the other. By giving the human race, making us in his image, and giving us a choice, he knew this would happen. But he also knew billions of people would choose him. And having you forever was worth it to him. That's simply what he decided. It doesn't take much reflection before you and I can identify dozens of areas in our life where, where God has given us boundaries or has shown us the proper way to handle a matter and then asked us to obey him. 
Through his written word and leading of the Spirit, he has provided us instructions that touch on virtually every area of life, and that certainly includes what we do when we gather together to worship. In the passage we are studying today, we hear the Apostle Paul asking believers in the city of Corinth to let the Holy Spirit guide them in the way they worship and to observe certain boundaries in the way they express his gifts. He tells them that if they will do what he asks, their services will inspire respect in those who visit them and will model the peaceful character of God to all. As a result, their gatherings will be powerful, beautiful, and orderly. Would you say that? Powerful, beautiful, and orderly. There will be enough freedom for each person to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and there will be enough order to maintain a peaceful atmosphere. By writing these things, Paul presented the Corinthians with a choice. Would they submit to him, or would they continue to do what they'd been doing? Let's try to understand what the apostle said to them, and then let's ask ourselves, are we willing to exercise our freedom within the boundaries of God's order? Because if we are, we'll be able to continue to minister in that power and freedom for the rest of our lives. Paul is actually fighting to preserve the freedom of the Spirit in Corinth. Because if these people continue to operate in the flesh the way they're doing, look, and, and this is right back to this issue. If, if you and I just let our flesh run us, and even in the spiritual matters, spiritual gifts, worship life, all of these things, if we let our flesh come in and it is not dealt with in boundaries, it, it burns up. And so after a while, Corinth is going to hate the gifts of the Spirit. They're going to they're gonna have it to hear. And they'll stop. And I'll show, you, I'll show you and talk more about that. But Paul is fighting, and he's, he's fighting for the freedom of the Spirit. But to have it, there needs to be the boundaries. Paul's instructions. Paul is writing to a church he had founded about five years earlier. And it's clear from what he writes in this letter that this church was not, at that time, being led by mature elders. In fact, nowhere in his letters to Corinth does he even mention the existence of elders. He, it appears from his comments that the church had divided into quarreling factions, with some claiming loyalty to Paul, some Apollo, some Peter, or he calls him Cephas, and some Christ, meaning they followed no human leader at all, so Paul writes to try to heal these divisions and correct wrong behaviors. And in this portion of this letter, he's trying to correct mistakes they were making when they gathered for worship. After explaining some important principles about the nature of the church, beautifully describing the proper motivation for all ministry, and showing them an example of how love should guide them in the use of the spiritual gifts, Paul will now describe in general terms what a spirit-led service should look like. In other words, how freedom can be expressed within order. Here's what I believe the Corinthians heard him say. Now this is a paraphrase, but I'm not just guessing. I had to work really hard uh, to, to, to translate this and to understand uh, exactly what he meant, because there are there are opinions all over the map on this thing. But for the most part, 
uh, the, the commentators are saying, well, Paul's trying to stop them from doing all these gifts. And he just, this is his way of shutting them up. And so he's trying to dial it down with the hope that it will all stop. Uh, that he doesn't certainly want any more than this, two or three of these, and two or three of these. And this is his way of trying to shut it down. It's not at all what he says. And I had to prove to myself and I, uh, exactly what does it say. And I know, I think. So here's what I believe the Corinthians heard Paul say. Let's listen. So now let's put all this together, says Paul. Here's what will happen if you follow the principles I've taught you. The Holy Spirit will give each one of you a gift that will help others to carry the load they are bearing. For example, one of you might feel led to recite or sing a psalm. Someone else might feel led to share with everyone a truth that God has taught them. Another might receive a prophetic insight which becomes the starting point for a word of wisdom or knowledge or a prophecy. Someone else might feel led to speak in tongues in a voice loud enough for all to hear. And in that case, that person or someone else would need to interpret that tongue so everyone could understand the prayer or praise that was just spoken. Remember, in a service, the gifts of the Spirit should be used to help others. If there are going to be tongues in a service, I don't want more than two or at the most three in a row before you stop and allow someone to interpret each one. And each person should be given sufficient time to share their gift. If there is no one present in the meeting who is capable of interpreting a tongue, let those who have that gift remain silent. Let me stop there for a minute. Almost everybody who comments on this says he's trying to say no more than two or three tongues in a service. Now, there's nothing that says that. And I'll tell you how I figured out. Just bear with me for a minute. Later on, Paul's going to say, you can all prophesy one, one at a time. Remember this? It's coming up in just a couple of verses. He says, you can all prophesy one at a time. And the way he says it, one at a time in Greek is, bear with me, katahena, by one. Here, when he's talking about how many tongues he wants, he says kataduo, or at the most three. So he's talking about at a time. He's not saying you can only have two or three tongues in a, in a church service. He's saying, I don't want you going more than two or three before you stop and interpret what was spoken. And he says, and then he says, he doesn't say each in turn. He says by, by portions. Meaning, give that person the proper time, the sufficient time to interpret and bring, bring the gift that they're supposed to give. Don't hurry it. Let it be done properly. They may speak in, a, in tongues quietly to themselves at a volume they can't hear if there's no one present to uh, interpret. But of course, God, will all, God always hears what your spirit is saying. As I told you earlier, each person who wishes to speak out in a tongue should ask God to give them the interpretation before they start. But if that person is unable to interpret their tongue, it is permissible for someone else to interpret it for them. If two or three prophets speak one after the other, before any other gifts are expressed, stop and ask those who are spiritually mature to evaluate what was said. Did you hear what he just said? All right, so if, if, there's, if people are, are speaking in tongues, he said, I don't want more than two or three tongues in a row 
before you stop and interpret those tongues. But he says, now if there's prophecies, I don't want more than two or three prophecies in a row before you stop and evaluate the prophecies. Now just think about what he's saying. He's saying that when you bring a prophecy in a church service, uh, we are then to turn around and go, so was that accurate or not? And it's submitted to the whole community. And those who are, who are there, say, I think it was done in the flesh. <laughs> I think that person's got a problem here. You know, or that, that part's good, that part's wrong. W- wouldn't, that, wouldn't that sober us up when we think about delivering a prophecy in that environment? Notice, Paul, Paul is saying, none of these gifts, you just sort of do it over people. We do it as a community. We evaluate it as a community. And nothing is above evaluation. That's a good thing, isn't it? it uh, you're going to be, what you're seeing is Paul put into place guidelines that will prevent things from going off the rails. And boy, do they go off the rails in Pentecostal churches. I, I, more to say on that in a minute. If, if two or three prophets speak one after the other before any gifts are expressed, stop and ask those who are spiritually mature to evaluate what was said. Was there anything in these, those prophecies that violated scripture? Was, was a prophecy presented with a wrong attitude? Was God actually directing those words to the whole church or just to an individual? If someone is prophesying and speaks so long, that someone else receives a word while they're still talking, that person should sit down and let the next person speak. I would prefer not to have prophecies that go on too long. It's better if they're brief and to the point, and it is very unacceptable to have two people prophesying at the same time. So here's the deal. Apparently, when you prophesied in those services, everyone's gathered, and, and, and a person will, will stand up, apparently, to prophesy. And if they're going on and on and on, and somebody else gets one over here, and they have a word from the Lord, I, I would suppose what they do is indicate, I have this word, by maybe standing. And the person who's talking should look over and go, oh, excuse me, and sit down. He didn't want long-winded things. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Yeah. And I'll sit down too quick. Yeah. 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 Just, you just, you're just here, and he says, uh, I, I, it, you, I want you to sit down. It's better if they're brief and to the point, and it's very unacceptable to have two people prophesying at the same time. No one should start prophesying while someone else is still speaking, so we're respectful of each other. If you follow these guidelines, everyone will have a chance to share what the Spirit is leading them to say, and as a result, the church will be taught and receive encouragement. Someone might say to me, says Paul, Paul, I I want to follow your guidelines, but when the Spirit comes over me, he compels me to speak, and I can't help myself. But that's not true. The Holy Spirit does not overwhelm a person so that they have no control over what they're saying. Yes, the Spirit supplies the words that you speak, but you are able to start and stop when you want to. It is not like the prophets you used to hear in pagan temples. The Holy Spirit doesn't 
compulsively force a person to blurt something out. Now, that's really an important truth. In pagan temples, this, so this is Corinth, and they're, they're not far from Delphi, uh, which was a, a pagan oracle where they, I, I've talked to you about it before, and they have, they have these spirits of Python, and you have people possessed by the spirit of Python. They were used to prophets. They had lots of prophecy. But when you, when you got a prophecy, in that case, the person's eyes roll back in their head and they begin to blurt stuff out. They're on drugs or they're possessed and the thing comes over them. There's a different spirit to this whole kind of thing. The devil possesses and controls. God inspires. You are his child. He will give you words to speak. There's a faith walk with the living God. He requires us to participate with him, to choose to walk with him. He's giving us words. This is something, when I pray with people to receive the gift of speaking in tongues, they have in their head often that if, if this is really a gift, it's going to hit me and come blurting out of my mouth. And there's just a whole bunch of people who sometimes for years will get stuck just sort of, well, you know, I tried. And they mean, uh, you know, and the thing didn't go blah out of them. Those kinds of compulsive, compulsive handwriting, uh, automatic handwriting, automatic uh, all speech, the seances, that, that whole dark kind of thing is compulsive stuff. People are sitting there and then the thing comes in and takes them over and out comes the voice of Uncle Harry. You know. <laughs> that's, that's the demonic. And you got to make a real clear distinction here. And Paul is saying, it's not going to be like what you, you were used to. He said, don't tell me, oh, Paul, I would love to obey you, but I can't. When the Spirit comes over me, I got no choice. I just got to speak. He says, no, you don't. He says, your human spirit's in control all the way. I know that, and you better know that. Isn't that lovely? Puts a lot of nonsense down. Puts a lot of nonsense. Nobody can say, I can't do this. Yes, the Holy Spirit is prompting you and your little heart can be beating fast and you go, oh, I just know I've got a word. Uh-huh, hang on. And then when it's appropriate, you can bring it. You're still in control. There's a dignity to the way God deals with his people. These boundaries I'm giving you, Paul says, will not quench the work of God. Because the God of the Bible the one who has sent the Holy Spirit to you through Jesus Christ is not a God of disorder. And the word he uses means civil disorder, anarchy, confusion. But of peace. There's our word shalom. Joyful harmony. It's what he's referring to. So my goal in all of this is to have your services properly reflect his character. And you need to know that no other church, notice what he, I mean, he, he put this in there. I mean, this is the, the purpose of what he said. And you need to know that no other church in the world functions the way you do, you Corinthians. I travel continually and stay in touch with congregations everywhere, and yours is the only one whose services are full of disunity and confusion. How's that for a compliment? <laughs> it is very important that you listen to me. 
Don't listen to those, and I'm actually bringing a verse in I didn't read today, but don't listen to those who try to overrule me by claiming to be prophets or saying they are acting on a word from the Lord. I want you to follow my guidelines. And if you do, your services will have a beauty that causes the community to respect the way you worship. Let me stop there. That's, I'm not just putting that in and thinking, isn't that fun to say? He uses a word, euskemenos. Now, bear with me. The, you'll, you'll recognize the heart of that word is, we, we have the word scheme, S-C-H-E-M-E. It's, well, that's, that's the U, when you put that E-U on the front of a thing in Greek, it means it's good or beautiful. And then you got scheme, and then he's just made it into a noun. So he's talking about, he says, your services should be euskemenos. They should be, and that word always is used, inspires respect by the outside community. And he says, and he says elsewhere, Paul will say elsewhere, he says, you, you should have this euskemenos. He says, don't you have drunkenness? and bad behavior, and shame yourself in front of the unbelieving world. Don't you do that. He says, you, you walk with, with beautiful grace. The, the word has a, a, a beauty to it. Uh, it's a beautiful form. So when, even though people come in to your services, Paul says, and they may not understand the life of the Spirit, they don't know what they're seeing with all of that. There should still be a beautiful quality that they may come in and say, wow, that, I, don't, I don't know what went on, but that's beautiful. I felt God there. When people will bring guests to church, and, uh, and I, 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 I will ask sometimes, just say, how did your guest like it? And, and what I'm thinking of is, is an unbeliever or a or brand new believer. How did they like it? How, was it all right? And, and sometimes there have been gifts of the Spirit. There might have been prophetic words. You know, we've worshipped, hands in the air, the whole, whole, whole thing. You know, you think. And what I'm looking for is not did they understand everything they saw, but did we scare them? <laughs> because there's a, there's a, you, you can have Pentecostal environment where it's scary. Uh, you know, you get in there. And even when you part of it regularly, you'd never bring your brother-in-law to that meeting. You know. He would not understand. You want a church where even though we're spiritual, even though we're moving in these things, people can bring the un- un- unsaved. They can bring those who don't know the Lord. In fact, when you cut that off, you have really dying. To, something's dying. The ch- our highest priority will always be winning souls. Our own Edification is important, but we will subordinate that to the needs of those who don't know the Lord yet. Yes? Yes. Yeah. So Paul says, I want your services. And you notice he's not stopped the gifts. He's said, you can have this and this and this and all these things. I just want it done this way. But he said they should be euskemenos. Beautiful. And then he uses another word, toxin. It should come in an order. One thing after another. In other words, respectful. Nobody kind of clamoring over each other, not chaotic. It ought, to, it ought to have a flow to it so that we can understand and follow and be edified by it. So here we have a very spirit-led service that is beautiful and orderly. Say beautiful and orderly. Can that be done? Yes, it can. All right. Paul's principles. Let's look at the principles that he just taught. 
Though Paul was correcting the Corinthian church and even said, in effect, there was no other church in the world that behaved the way they did, his concern was not that they were zealous for the things of the Spirit, in particular speaking in tongues. His concern was that they were expressing those gifts lovelessly in a way that ignored the needs of the community who came into their services to learn about Jesus. And they were creating a spiritual environment that did not reflect the peaceful character of God. Did you remember that he brought that in? He said, God is a God of peace. There's a sweetness and an order to him. And he says, when you have chaos, you are not. That is not God. God doesn't do that. His goal was not to persuade them to stop expressing the gifts of the Spirit, but to do so in a beautiful and orderly way. And over the course of this discussion, he taught them a number of foundational principles that apply to the Lord's church in every generation, not only first century Corinth. And because he's our apostle, as much as he was theirs, they apply to us too. So let's reflect on what he said so we can obey him and he would be pleased if he walked into our worship services today. Number one, the Holy Spirit is the rightful leader of every service. Would you say that? Spirit is the rightful leader. Now that, you can toss that off as a cliche, but it, it is not. That's a real decision. I, I remember when I, when I began to uh, back, this is back, I started as a youth minister in 1973, and I didn't have any coaching, I just had a Bible, and so I opened up and I read these chapters, and I read all of this about how, what should a church be, and I brought a bunch of kids to the Lord, they got saved, then they got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and now we got to have church, and I, and I looked at all of this, and, and, I, and I recognized something. If I was going to let the Spirit lead, I mean, really? It could be messy. And it was scary. Is there something scary about letting the Holy Spirit lead? If you come with everything planned, it's kind of comforting. You know it's going to happen. And if you, if you open it up and say, well, we're going to gather, we're going to worship, and then we're going to see what God wants to do. You're thinking, what if he doesn't want to do anything? This could get real embarrassing real fast. Um, if you say, I'm going, to let, I'm going to wait on the Lord and let him speak. And what if he doesn't want to say anything? I could be standing there with nothing to say. And, you, and, and it's, it's frightening. And I actually wrote this out years ago. I wrote this out and I thought, there is a terrible cost to being spirit-led. Now think about it. If you decide to let the Lord lead you this day, Whatever, Lord, I'm, I'm open and I'm listening and I'll follow. When we re get right down to it, it's kind of like, I wonder what you're going to do. Where are you going to lead me? What does that mean? Do, do you feel it? Yeah. If you just said right now to yourself, okay, the rest of this day, whatever he shows me, I will do. You think, ah, <laughs> I was planning on, um, there's a game on, I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, what's he gonna, what is he going to want to... It, it puts this element of uncertainty in it. So I just, I just wanna, I want that to come home. If we're going to let him lead, there is this element of uncertainty that will come into the process. And we have to trust him. 
How did, did I ever do it? Oh, yeah. In fact, that's, I, didn't, I never really led a church service with anything but that until at times got, we, we do have a, a general uh, process here, a pattern we, we follow. But I, you, you need, in my own heart, I'm always open. What's God wanting to do? What's he want to say? I know that every, every, every service will be different. I have found, that I learned, what I learned as a young guy was that if I just listened while you know, something's, we're worshiping or something's going on, I could see myself doing something. I had a sense of what would be next. Or I could feel there was something going on in the room. That something, I could see this person over here and I could sense the spirit was on him. I could, I could sense this was happening. And that I, if I began to follow that and just say, hey, I think you have something. What's, what are you hearing? And they bring that. And then we go to the next thing. And we just follow as it was led. We'd have a gorgeous service. We, if we would learn this skill, this is how we can do home groups. This is how we can do. We used to have a believers meeting here for years. Um, it's, it, it's a long subject. Um, but I did not come to that believers meeting with any plans. We'd, we'd worship something a little bit. And then I had no idea. I just had a microphone and God better show up. How did it work? Worked very well. It was beautiful. God would take those services. In fact, they were enormously popular. We had people in the foyer. It was packed. Uh, because people loved seeing what... It was orderly and beautiful. And I just, I, I mostly just walk the mic around. I'm just the guy carrying the mic, kind of keeping some level of order to it. But the Spirit's leading. Brothers and sisters, he can lead. But you can cliche it. Yeah, Spirit's the leader. Or you can mean it. And when we mean it, I'm just, just telling you, it's scary. But, it, but it's also... I have found that the anointing flows when he says to do something and I obey. I can pray for you the best prayers in the world. I mean, I'm, I, hey, I've been praying for years, boy. I got this down. I can say stuff that ought to get said. And then the Lord shows me something to pray for you. And all of a sudden, you start crying. And I start crying. Because he shows up now. He shows up when we do what he says. It's as simple as that. In a service, in prayer, in anything we do, there's this responsive process. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father do. That's how he functioned. Number two, he will give certain gifts to certain people. And there is no way of knowing what that will be until the service is underway. Paul says he will distribute his gifts to each one. And then he says, just as he wills. There's this sovereign quality. When years ago, we, uh, I was in Philadelphia. And that's one of the places where the Quaker movement was strong way back when. Uh, do you know what the Quakers are? There's, there's, there's Shakers. That's another thing. But the, the Quakers uh, started in England with George Fox, was it? And... Uh, and they, they, they called them Quakers because they would shake. They would quake. They, they had men and women, 
There was no, no, no difference. And they didn't have leaders. And they didn't have all the religious formalities. It was a real reaction to a lot of the high church stuff. The Quaker Meeting House in Philadelphia is just a, a big room with wood benches. Wood floor, wood benches. Uh, in a big rectangle, just concentric rectangle. There is no pulpit. Uh, there is no religious art of any form. Um, just bare walls. And there's these benches. And people would come in and you sit and you wait on the Holy Spirit. Men and women, young and old. And God will speak through the yielded vessel. And how do you know? Well, the person starts. I mean, they would, they, would, they would wait till the Spirit kind of came over them. And then they'd speak. What Paul is describing is very similar to that to be honest with you. He's, he's saying when you gather, he, he's not pointing to a pastor, he doesn't point to elders, he doesn't point to any kind of structure. He says, he says when you sit and wait, to one the Spirit will give a psalm. You sing that or read that out. To another it might be a, uh, might be a, a, a teaching. To someone else it might be a prophetic revelation. That's what he means by that. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom. You stand up and share that. Another tongue and interpretation. And he says, let everything be done for edification. And then he just, he just pictures this kind of free-flowing service. Just saying, that's what he's describing. Number three, every believer should come to, to church expecting the Spirit to give them a gift to share with someone else. He says it a couple of times, to each one. Say each one. Each one. To each one, he will give a gift. Raise your hand if you're one of the each ones. Okay? What if you and I actually believed that, and when we came to church, we said, Lord, give me something for someone else? Whether it be individually, whether it be in a gathering, whether, how, whatever the setting is, Lord, I ask for a gift. May I have something? And he says, to each one, the Spirit will give the, a gift for the that helps others carry their load. That's the word. That helps others carry the load they're bearing. Just what if we on the, prepared ourselves, as it were, when we go to church and just say, Lord, here's my heart. I'm asking you, would you show me by your love someone today, some situation, some way that I can bless my brothers and sisters or someone? Would you speak to me? And he will give us that. Imagine how rich a ga- every gathering would be. Imagine how much ministry would be going on as we listen and allow him to use each one of us. Number four, the Holy Spirit knows the needs of the congregation and will distribute a variety of gifts to meet those needs. There won't be just one thing. There'll be a whole bunch. Number five, believers must be aware of visitors who don't know Jesus yet. Do you see my phrase, don't know Jesus yet? There's different kinds of visitors. Paul is not saying you have to, you have to adjust your service for every, for every visitor. He's talking about people who don't know the Lord. And I say that because there are people who come to churches who are Christians already. And some of them come with pretty interesting attitudes. Uh, I've had people come and tell me, actually come forward. I've had this several times. They say, you know, my ministry is to go from church to church and tell them what's wrong with them. And 
And I said, well, praise the Lord, you've arrived here because we've been just running rampant without, without you and, and you're, you're here now. Blessed be God. Um, I've had people who will come in and evaluate and, and, and they write notes. But by the way, they don't give me notes that don't have a, a name on them or anymore. You know, I used to get these nameless notes and they were usually nasty um, and just kind of mean-spirited. I, had, I, I remember one that really zinged me. Um, they had come and they said, what a crummy way to serve communion. Just having it across the front and a few people go up. That is so disrespectful. And I thought to myself, Wait, 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 wait. We take communion as a church once a month. Uh, we have a whole part of a service for it. We put that across as a ministry of availability. You can come and take the body and blood of Christ if you wish and confess your sins and people do. It's part of our worship. But I couldn't answer them because there was no name. But they, they said, and they said, we'll never be back. And I thought, oh, gee. Please come back. There's more wrong with us. <laughs> there are always people who come out of churches that don't want the gifts of the Spirit, who, 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 are, who are critical of the fact that you, why do you all raise your hands? Or why do you do these things? And why do you, stuff like that. Paul is not saying you have to cater to that. That is not the kind of visitor he says you have to accommodate. He talks about the, un, the one who comes seeking Christ. That's, that's the point. Those who, don't, who are honestly, genuinely coming in the church, those, he says, you have to lay your own needs aside and you, take, you see that whatever's going on will we'll, we'll minister to them so they can understand, they can participate because God wants to reach their heart. Does that make sense? Our highest goal must be evangelism, not personal edification. We edify our own spirit at other times. Every gift is to be tested. No one is above evaluation. When we present a gift, we submit it to the congregation for their approval or rejection. Would you say every gift is to be tested? The Pentecostal movement has really had difficulties In trying to have freedom and let the gifts happen, the attitude has been, if you pastor the gifts, it will ruin it. So you just basically let whatever happens, happens. And that supposedly is the freedom and leading of the spirit. The problem is human flesh. The problem is everybody isn't, isn't healthy. The problem is that everybody doesn't have the good sense to restrain themselves. And so what happens is you end up with strong, sometimes wounded personalities dominating a service. And there is, uh, there are, it, it actually, the, the early Pentecostal movement rose up and they'd had, and, and in some circles it was just like, whatever goes, goes. And the second generation, the children of those who did that, are really burned and right now, I, I deal with a bunch of it because I'm the, I, I am the doctrine chairman and we have this struggle over some of these things for the denomination. And what I'm finding is I'm usually dealing with second generation people. I'm dealing with those whose parents were pretty wild. And those people will always say to me, look, I believe in this. I know it's true. But then they say, boy, have I seen some crazy stuff. I had it last night. <laughs> 
Because even as I talk about this, I stir up some of you. So I had several people last night talking to me about the very thing. Boy, Pastor, you are right on. They have watched it where you have some, some prophet stand up and every week they say the same dumb thing. And you think, will you please stop it? We've heard your thing about, yea, my people, have I not called you to myself? Don't say it again. But no one sits them down. You have, you have, you have so-and-so who feels that when they bring a tongue, they've got to scream it. And everybody, oh, what was that? And, and what it does is just drive people out. Some will put up with it, and others just going, I've had it. I, I, I don't want any more of that. I know that stuff's in the Bible, but if this is what it is, I don't want it. When it's not, when it's not within boundaries, when it is not disciplined, it, it will burn out. Now, some people think the wilder the better. But what you have is, is wild will cause a, a, a spike in attendance. People will come when things are wild to, to sort of look. It's... it's, it's, it's it's like going to a circus. And so it'll spike in attendance, but it'll always crash. If we're going to move in the things of the Spirit, we have to be listening to what Paul is doing. He says, everything that's brought is to be evaluated. Do you hear that? Now, that'll stop that if it's done properly. If, if, if it can be done respectfully, it can be done kindly. Not humiliating people publicly. That, that is not what he's talking about. But he is saying, if things are out of order, he says, you evaluate it and you stop it. Why? Because he wants them to move in the gifts of the Spirit for years to come. He doesn't want it dying out. He wants the, He believes in these things. He loves the gifts of the Spirit. But it has to be done Decently in an order. A person who is yielded to the Holy Spirit does not lose their self-control. The spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Number eight, guidelines for the gifts of the Spirit are needed to protect the church from being dominated by our human flesh. And number nine, beauty and order. The Holy Spirit is not leading if a service is disorderly and people are becoming confused. When he leads, the gifts of the Spirit will be presented in a way that is beautiful and even visitors who don't understand the gifts will respect what's happening. When he's leading, everyone can receive a blessing. Paul's goals. Some people say that if you try to pastor the gifts of the Spirit, you will quench them. And that is certainly possible. If someone doesn't have Paul's heart, which truly loves the gifts of the Spirit, even these principles that we've just seen can be used in a harsh way to smother the gifts. But the reason Paul taught these things was not to prevent the Corinthians from moving freely in the Spirit, but to protect them from making certain mistakes that in time would cause the church and community to despise the gifts. Without guidelines, human flesh always takes over. And ruin something God intended to be beautiful. In fact, it appears that very thing had happened to the church in Thessalonica. Listen to what Paul felt the need to say to them. Would you read that out loud with me? Do not quench the, gift, the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything. Hold fast to that which is good. 
Don't quench the spirit. So they were, they were already in a point. Don't despise prophetic utterances. How do you despise prophetic utterances? You listen to unevaluated, shallow prophecies or, or, or fleshy prophecies that aren't, no one deals with it. And you listen to it over and over again. I have heard people say on several occasions, I don't ever want to hear a prophecy again as long as I live. Now that breaks my heart. Because when, when it's truly the prophetic word of the Lord, it is so beautiful. I'm telling you, when people move really in the spirit, when there's a humility to it and people are tender and they're listening, it's, it's, it just goes into your heart and touches you like a... Like, Cuts right to the, the, the core of things. Mm-hmm. Prophetic words with, in ministry can shorten the time of healing for somebody like that. Mm-hmm. You can do therapy for years. One prophetic insight will go right to the heart of the problem like that. I'm telling you, I've watched that over and over again. Where it's just suddenly that the, the very thing that person needed is just opened by the Spirit and they're healed. I know There's immature stuff. I know there's foolish stuff. Boy, do I know it. But the the real is beautiful. Paul says to Thessalonica, and you just can tell, they've had that go on. And they're they're already in the reaction stage. And he says, don't despise prophetic utterance. Test them. Test them. And if they're wrong, deal with it. Pastor Are you and I willing to move forward in the spirit? Because if we are, we have to do this as a community. We have to be willing, one, to to do what Paul said, to actually evaluate things. And we have to be willing, when we share something, to be evaluated. Me too. Let me give an example of this. We have a Wednesday night healing and deliverance ministry. And we've had it for years. When we set that up, I knew that if there were not clear boundaries, that thing would implode in, in six months to a year. And I, I met with people. I set elders in place. And I, I laid out and I said, when we pray for the sick, when we deal with this, Here's what I want done, and here's what I do not want done. And if I have anybody anybody does that, we're in trouble. I won't tolerate it. Because I know where healing ministry goes. There are a whole lot of opinions out there. There's a whole lot of approaches. And somebody's going on TV or online and going to bring some of that in. And if they do, it'll blow. I believe in healing. I know the Lord's a powerful healer. On any given, and it's been going now for what? I don't know, 10, 15 years at least. Uh, I can't remember when we started it. Any given, any given Wednesday evening, there will have been 30 people prayed for, two salvations, two baptisms in the Holy Spirit, and a deliverance. It's just par for the course. It's just normal now. Because we stay within boundaries. 
Now, when someone has stepped out, and there have been some situations in a place where I've had to step in, where someone began to speak words over people that were inaccurate and damage people and leave them feeling condemned and ashamed and questioning God. When I talked to one individual, I took him aside and I said, look, this is what I understand has been said and things. You tell me what's been said, but I said, you need to know I can't have this. He was outraged. How dare I challenge him on something like that? And he promptly left the church and is doing his thing elsewhere. That's all right with me if it has to happen. I'm sad that happens. But here's what happens. If I, let him lo- if I let him loose, if I let him just keep doing that, he's going to hurt a lot of people. Because when you say, thus saith the Lord, there's a bunch of people that believe you. They actually think that was God. And then when, when, when the healing doesn't happen the way you said it would, that God said it would, you know what they do? They don't go, that guy lied to me. They, oh, you know what they always do? They always say, I failed God somehow. That, I heard his word and what did I do wrong? And they go into condemnation. When we walk into these things, we have to be very careful with each other. We have to be integrous to the core. If it's God, you speak it. If it's not God, you stop. I've made the same mistakes, by the way. I need to be evaluated and tested as, just as much as anyone else in the room. Do you understand? Will we do this as a community? Will we be humble enough to be evaluated and say, hey, if, if, whatever, brothers and sisters, whatever's there is of the Lord, praise God, what is not, let's throw it out. And if we will do that with each other, we can move forward in the gifts of the Spirit and have a deeper and deeper life. Nothing is more beautiful than when the Spirit of the Lord is moving in order and beauty. The Lord just literally walks the aisles. He literally comes into the meeting and just walks there and you're just like... To me, the very point of life is his presence. When he's close like that, I am alive. I'm not afraid of death. All of those things have passed away. It's just sweet. Don't we want him? All right, I'll, I'll finish here. Paul was pastoring the gifts of, in Corinth not to stop them, but to preserve them. If done wrongly, they would soon cease. If done properly, they would continue to be a blessing to everyone. And that is still true today. All right. Would you stand with me if you'd like? And if, you, you, if you're hurt, don't stand. Just stay seated. Holy Spirit, we have spoken of you today. And we have said how much we want you. And we have said as a people that we, we want to grow and go further. I, me too. We don't know what that looks like. But we know we want more of you. And we just say to you today, you are wanted here. Among us whether it's in our small gatherings, any, any part of our life, right into our homes. We want your presence. We want you to guide us. Teach us to walk in the life of the Spirit, in the gifts of the Spirit, and to do it as a community that's humble, respectful of each other, 
and allows this to be beautiful and orderly. We welcome you. If, if you agree with that, and I mean it very sincerely, would you just say to him, come Holy Spirit. We welcome you at a, at a, at a deeper level into our church. We mean that, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.